elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 347. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, a Ross Jedi Jay, and it is so wonderful to have you here with me in the brand new Smoking Pod studio. I'm very excited, kids. It is so apropos that the very first gentleman to Skype into the Smoking Pod studio would be our old dear friend, Mr. Dirk motherfucking Manning. Welcome back to the show, sir. Oh, thank you, man. I have been so looking forward to talking to you for so long. And the fact that I get to be the inaugural guest in the, in the, in the new place, man, is... Uh, is a very is very much an honor. So thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, I, I I'm I'm very pleased that you're the first one skyping in, man, because it's it's a very cool new adventure. I'm very yeah. excited. I just spent eight years, three hundred and forty five episodes coming out of the L five J. Everybody knows my heart will mm-hmm. always lie in Clarkson. But, sure. uh, you know, things, uh, sometimes things grow, they, uh, get bigger and better. And fortunately, that's the way me and my fam's life was going. So now we're out here in the Hammer, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, the home of Martin Short. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and know. now the Smoking Pod Studio and an elegant that's weapon. Funny. But it's very cool because there's, uh, you know, I've, I'm already uh, good friends with a lot of the creators who are in the city here just because the GTA is uh, it's a tiny little place where everybody kind of knows everybody, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's very, very cool, very, very exciting. Um, Dirk, uh, I have a strange thing I'm going to do with this episode. We have so much to talk about, and it's oh, kind of all <laughs> over the place. So we're going to start with a kind of a theme I thought okay. I would try, all right? All right. All right. Because there's all right. a lot of segues that we can make out of this theme. And, and we and we seg a lot anyway. <laughs> we do. We do. Our entire conversations oh, I would, are segues. stay in my lane. It's okay. Lane. All right. We're going we're gonna to go with the theme of family. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, because here's why. I'll explain this. There's so much going on with you, and you have an insane amount of stuff going on, and your entire history has been an insane amount of stuff going on. And in my life, there's a lot of things that are, because of my son, really lending uh, the conversation to go in a direction that is, uh, again, appropriate to have with you. And what I mean by that is, uh, a lot of people are familiar with the fact that my son has become a horror freak. Yes. I talk I, about it a lot. We've talked about it. it. Mm-hmm. And and I, in fact, also at C2E2 discussed the situation with uh, Monoxide and Madrox uh, at C2E2 of Twisted. Right, right. And, um, you know, I talked with those guys about uh, – I got some advice from them on how do you handle having an eight-year-old – who is a horror freak and has been so for the past several years. This thing has been growing. I was never a huge horror kid. I was a huge Nightmare on Elm Street kid. Like, mm-hmm. like I had my obsession with Freddy uh, to the extent where I had all five movie posters on the wall, but I, I didn't really care about, about much else. Mm-hmm. My kid is all over the place. Now, Dirk, I got the guys from Twisted's advice on how to handle this situation. 
What is your advice on how to groom an eight-year-old boy <laughs> whose obsession is Jason <laughs> Voorhees? Because, you know, uh, I know you've dealt with children in your life mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. without pulling too much, too much of a curtain back. Uh, what, what do you think, man? I'm in this weird situation where I'm trying to balance this kid who's obsessed with things that he's not supposed to be obsessed about at his age. Were you into horror that early? I was. Um, so you might be looking into his future. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, I started, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll tie this directly to your, to, to your boy in a minute here, but I really started, um, I think with a lot of like the Godzilla movies, yes. uh, pretty early on, right, right, and I he probably did something similar, right? He did exactly that. Well, like okay, he, yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. And then from there, now this is where I took an odd little seg. Now I'm not sure if he did if he did this or not, but my my great grandma, who I was very fortunate to know for many years when I was younger, uh, really got me into the Twilight Zone. Okay, okay, and that that foundational point in my life where I discovered the Twilight Zone and the idea of these little morality plays and oftentimes in one room and one scene with the creepy bent to them and things like that, that that was very formative to me. Uh, And then from there, obviously, I did very quickly uh, evolve into Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and Hollow and you name it, man, you everything, you know, coming up in the 80s, it was a uh, predominantly slasher films, but there was also a lot of other really cool stuff out there if you dug around. Um, in my situation, we didn't have the Internet, obviously, <clears throat> but you had magazines like Fangoria and Gore Shriek and some other more obscure ones if you really dug around. And I actually almost got thrown out of junior high. I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly because <laughs> – well, you know, we're friends, right? This, yeah, will, yeah. this will all loop back to your – It's an exclusive. Do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The exclusive, Dirk Manning almost got thrown out of junior high. Um, I was very small, very quiet kid, and uh, you know, I was very much into horror and stuff like that. And I, I was bullied a lot. Um, I, I went to a very uh, affluent school, and my family uh, was not – you know, keeping in your family theme was not affluent, but we kind of snuck into the, you know, through an open window in the basement and kind of, you know, wiggled right, my way right. in. Yeah. And, uh, this kid was just newer kid to the district. Just effing with me, man. He just kept fucking with me. Just kept fucking with me. And, and like, literally like, like accosting me. And I won't get into the, the gory details, but finally, and I, I was tiny. I was like as big as like, uh, two pop cans. You know, that, that's about how tall I was. I, I was a <laughs> tiny kid. And I, and this kid was tall, you know, which to me might have been like 5'4". But, you know, whatever. He was huge to me. And uh, we, we, I finally just got up and started, you know, popping him in the face, which with my little, um, <laughs> you know, like little uh, tiny – like my arms like the size of straws. Right. You know, just tiny. <laughs> and I'm literally jumping up like just peppering him. Like pop, 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 pop. And he wasn't hurt. But he was more shocked than anything that I finally was fighting back. And after he kind of got his composure, I actually, you know, pushed him all the way back to a wall just because he was like, oh, it was like a mosquito attack. But what's going on? And he cranks back and he comes down to punch me. And, you know, I hear this like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> like I'm, I mean, I'm dead, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, he would have killed me. Uh, well, let me be fair. That's not true. I was small, but I was very tough. I was like, as Jim Ross would say from wrestling, I was as tough as a $2 steak. Right. You know? You were scrappy. Uh, I, I was just, yeah, just, I've always been, just been pain resilient. 
So it, as this as this fist comes flying in, I did the only thing I could do, and I reeled my head back and just threw it forward, and there's this. And, and I headbutted his fist. <laughs> There's this pop, and he's like, "Yeah!" He like screams, and I look up, and his hand, like if you hold your hand out straight, then like you bend your fingers down, then imagine that bend three inches backwards again. <laughs> yes. I broke every bone in his hand, on like, your, like on going your to concrete cough. head. Yeah, I, I yeah I, yeah well. Again, my concrete head saved my life years later, many times in my life. But this is the first time it really came that much effect. So then the story comes out, you know. So he ends up having to go to the hospital and stuff like that. His hands in a cast. I broke the kid's head. That that Dirk broke this kid's hand, and he's that little quiet kid who reads the horror magazines and stuff like that, and blah blah blah. So I ended up having to go see like a counselor to not get thrown out of school. Jesus. <laughs> so I go to the counselor, and here's this quiet kid, blah, 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 goes to the outskirts of town who loves horror movies. Oh, no. <laughs> Originally, this was like – the shrink was like licking his lips, man. Like, <laughs> you know, oh, man, you know, this – oh, my God, you know. This, there was no school shooters per se back then. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure he was all worried. Like, I was going to do some crazy stuff because the story is – this little kid out from like the outskirts of town, reads horror magazines, broke this kid's hand, and he just snapped one day. Yeah. Ignoring the fact that I've been being bullied at this point for weeks, if not months, if not years. Sure, sure. And, and how this comes back is after a couple sessions, the psychologist calls the school up and writes a report and says, This is garbage. This kid's fine. He just likes horror movies. Right, right. So, how this relates to your son, though, I, I think what's important is that the focus continues to be on the fact that you really shouldn't be rooting for the bad guy. You really shouldn't be rooting for people to be just objectively murdered. Yes, this is a conversation I have had in-depthly with him, yes. And is he responsive to that? He's very responsive to that, and he completely understands that. See, here's the thing, and this is what gives me hope and – uh, not even, you know, I, I wouldn't say hope, but like, uh, you know, relaxes me a bit yeah. is knowing you. And honestly, Astronomicon did a lot last year for me for this and meeting the guys from Twizlet and talking to Jamie and Paul about this exact subject. It just put me at ease that these are all such good people. Good right. family people who have grown mm. up to be loving and caring, who just like a particular genre that, you know, is mostly viewed as ridiculous. Like there's like horror has grown to where there's all these different, you know, subgenres to the main thing. Absolutely. But this is all the the people who are just, you know, having fun, gross out good times. You know what I mean? Right. Like and, and, and to that point, if I may I I apologize I'm cutting you off, but I want no, I, yeah. I I don't want to lose this point. You grew up loving Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Your son likes Friday the thirteenth. I've always postulated that, you know, when you get into my horror side of things, that there's primarily two types of people. There's the Friday the 13th people and there's the Nightmare on Elm Street people. Right. And the reason being, I'm willing to bet, and we've never had this conversation, but I'm willing to bet that one of the main reasons you like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is because of those crazy-ass kills. How he yep. turns someone into a cockroach, and he does this, and they're just these big, elaborate set pieces in these craziest ways where everybody gets killed. Actually, no. 
Really? Damn. Well, they were my whole my well, whole theory. Well, here's the thing. I, I I totally get your theory and where it's going. I think I'm just a unique case where because remember I say I wasn't like a horror kid at all in right, any right, other right, way. Right. And Freddy was just cool. It was the look, it was the glove, it was the hat, it was the one-liners, okay. and a okay. lot of it was the lore. As the movies mm-hmm. went on and it added mm-hmm. to his history, and then when we got to part three and we met his mom and we learned about him being locked up and the mm-hmm. you know bastard yeah. son of a hundred maniacs, and that's the shit that really pulled in me. Interesting. But I, okay. but I did enjoy the kills far more than just somebody getting slashed with a machete. Yes. You right. are right in that case that, yes, okay. I was far more entertained by him turning into TVs and giant worms and shit. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, see, and, that, and that's the other part of it, too, is that Freddy is definitely much more of a dynamic character. And, and one of the reasons that I didn't like Nightmare on Elm Street as much, I, when I was younger, I actually really considered getting into practical special effects like Tom Savini and stuff like that. Um, and I was afraid they would eventually go away in, in little computer. And there's some other factors, obviously. But that was something I, I really thought about a lot. Um, and what's interesting is that Freddy is oftentimes, like you said, too, this is the other the part of it. He's a very dynamic, funny character. But what's interesting, and not to be all um, a downer about it, but Freddy's a, 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 a you know kind of borderline pedophile child murderer oh know? yeah absolutely you know? yeah and, yeah yeah and uh and what's interesting is yet, yet he's charming and people like that he's funny and you're right and he's got the fedora and he's got the look and he's got the cha-cha idea all this other stuff well then the flip side you have the people who like jason Voorhees, which i'm a jason guy through and through because you're right it's like he basically he chops people with a machete i mean there's not there, you know, there, there's a couple creative kills here and there. Jason definitely has some pretty, oh yeah, some you know sleeping bag moment. Some other one. My personal favorites in part seven when he kills someone with a windows little like birthday horns. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> his gems a guy's eye and he goes, huh? It just, I don't know, it makes me laugh in a really perverse way. But what I liked about Jason and what might be the situation with your son is Jason is truly. And not that all horror is not, not, not that Nightmare on the Street too, but truly that survival horror. You can't reason with Jason Voorhees. You yeah, can't yeah, talk yeah. to him. It is literally, can you survive? Now, I understand in Freddy that you could make that argument, too, about the fact that if you fall asleep, he gets you in your dreams. Inevitably, you have to sleep and you have to be cunning and stuff like that. But Voorhees is a force of freaking nature yeah, and really that's relentless the, yeah relentless and, and to me that's even like you look at like japanese horror you know like stuff like junan which in, in america they made the movie the grudge or the ring or ringu you know yeah those are the ones i cannot get into man <laughs> well wh- what's interesting about those is like you look something like junan or the grudge if you step foot in this house the ghost will come kill you it doesn't care who you are it doesn't care if you're innocent or guilty it just is pissed off ghost and it's like, how do you stop a freaking ghost? How yeah. do you stop this ghost? You know, and, and in a way, I think there's more the illusion of survival with Freddy, even with a nightmare thing, because you can kind of like outsmart him, and then if you can take control of your dreams, and then you can for sure. Man, Jason, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, he will find you. He will. You would blow him up with a bazooka, and he comes back. I think and, there's and, a lot to do with how non-dynamic. Like it's like Mike. Yeah. Is, he's obsessed with masks, right? Like not yeah, just yeah. Jason, but like it's the facelessness of it. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's 
it, it's it's hard. It's a force of nature. It, it's yeah. terror, you know, and it's and it's and and to me that's much scarier. Not that Freddy Krueger is. Oh, not hold on scary. a sec. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Okay. Hold yeah. on a sec. Hold on. Hello. Morning, Jason Clark. Hey, good morning, Jay Fosgett. Welcome to An Elegant Weapon. Say hello to Dirk Manning. Hey, Dirk Manning. Hi, Jay Fosgett. He says hi, Jay Fosgett. Yeah, you can't hear Dirk, but here you can hear. No, not to be rude to Dirk here, but Jay's been trying to call me, and I've always been doing something. I just thought it'd be funny to answer while we were podcasting. Well, Jay's a fellow horror guy, too. Jay Jay enjoys his horror. People don't remember that about Jay. He's a horror guy. Yeah, I do. I do. I just thought it. Part two, and I'm seeing the the second one, or I'm seeing it again today. That's how much I loved it. You loved it that you just saw it part two, uh-huh. and you're seeing it again. That's that's uh, cool. Yeah, my kid's been bugging me to say that. Um, Jay, you and I have to pod very soon because I finished uh, my binge of the Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance last night. Oh yeah, we need to talk about that. So uh, <laughs> we are definitely going to do this, but uh, I just uh, want to let you say. Yeah, but uh, it's always lovely to hear from you, Mr. Fosgett. All right, well, you guys have fun communicating. Hi, Jay. You take care. I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, take it easy. Uh, sorry, it's just he he calls on such a regular basis while I'm podcasting that I've just gotten to the point where I just answer now. Right, no, I get it. I, I, I know the drill. I know the drill. Well, he's probably done it with one that you've been. This is the first. We... This is the first Jay call in when I've been on the air with you. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fun. But it, it's it's just abnormally regular. But um, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Sorry, but yeah, uh, but no, a lot no, of the that, thing is, yeah, that. is that faceless for, force of nature. I think that's what he loves about it. But I showed him the first real horror movie. I showed him was Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, oh, that's a really good movie. And within oh, ten okay. minutes, he just turned to me and he said, "Daddy, this is sick." And I was like, yeah. And he's like, this is so awesome. And he's just, oh, yeah. He just oh. loved it, like edge of his seat the whole way through. So I'm, cause he, he's not like you were mentioning Twilight Zone or he, it's, it's, yeah. he's, he's not a big writer type kid. Like he's, right. he, he draws, right. he draws insane amounts. Like he spends all his time drawing. He's a little more to that side of things, but, um, uh, you know, he w- it, it, it's the way the the little things start creeping in. Like, have you ever heard of Bendy and the Ink Machine? I've heard of it. Okay, but Bendy, give me some context. Bendy and the Ink Machine. It's a PC online game, and mm-hmm. what, what it is is it's kind of a horror game, and it's, oh, yes, it's where these yes. old nineteen thirties cartoon characters, mm-hmm. like black and white Steamboat Willie looking type, you know, Betty Boop characters. Yep. Uh, this crazy thing happens in the warehouse studio, and this, and they all come to life, and it's like, yes, and, exactly and that was the that. beginning. That was where I was like. Okay, he's he's going somewhere now, and now it's blown up into like yeah, of course. Right now, the obsession is Pennywise. Have you seen it too yet? I have not seen it too yet. It is it is on my list. I I want to see it. I enjoyed the first one. Uh, I think like a lot of really diehard horror people, I was surprised how un horror it was in the scheme of things. You know, uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. It was definitely a horror movie, but it was not a it's I agree. Yeah, movie, I agree. You know? I remember I read the book when I was thirteen, mm-hmm. and it took me an entire summer. I think we've talked mm-hmm. about this in the past, yeah. and yeah. we talked a yeah. bunch of Stephen King. It took me three months of an entire summer. I think it was the summer of '88, 
and I read that entire 1200 fucking page book. Uh huh. And, um, I remember that. Like, it was, it was a ride where some parts were scary, but then a lot of that book was just fun and cool. And it was the characters that I remember loving in the book. I remember right. loving the the dynamic between all these kids and the adults having to deal with each other. I I didn't love the like I said I wasn't a horror kid, right? So I didn't love it because it was a horror book. I loved it just because it was such a cool story and that and there were so many characters to follow, you know? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know that that for me that was the stand. It was the same concept, like all these characters and things like that. And you know, it, it's interesting talk about masked horror and stuff and. You would definitely want to watch this movie first, because but there's a really, and this is going to segue right into I think your theme as well. One of I would argue the 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 better modern horror films. This was actually made in 2006, but it's a movie called Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon, and it's like a mockumentary type movie about this guy who idolizes. Jason and Freddy and Michael Myers and wants to become the next one. Even though he knows their movies, he wants to be like the next one. Ooh, and he crazy. hires this camera crew to follow him around as he tries to make himself the next big horror icon. That's creepy, man. <laughs> it is. But it's funny. But it's also very oh, scary. It's done like and, that? I, and, and, okay. and I. I'm telling you right now, I would definitely watch it first because I don't remember. Like, I know there's some sexual aspects to it and stuff like that. And, right. and I, I, but the reason I bring that up specifically is the actor who plays Leslie Vernon is going to be at Astronomicon three in February. So if you get a chance to watch it and then you feel it's appropriate to watch with your son, I think it also gets to raise a lot of those questions about not idolizing the killer too much. Right. Because at the end of the day, even like. Not, not the. I mean, Freddy was a uh, a victim of his own making. Jason was just a straight up victim, <laughs> you know. Yes, he, true, true. Yeah, there's know, a big difference and, there. And yeah. the Friday the Thirteenth movies, obviously, uh, you know, really fall into that Judeo Christian. You know, if you do illicit things, you will be punished by the force of God, as opposed to Nightmare on Elm Street, which is much more the idea of, you know, uh, the, the, the the creepy kills just by a sadistic motherfucker, right. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. but Leslie Vernon, I think it's an incredibly well done film. That sounds it's cool, man. I will definitely well check that film. out. Yeah. yeah watch it for – like I said, I, I, I just – I don't know the level of – content that your son watches at this point i mean you know i'm sure he's seen a booby on the screen or whatever uh, but yeah yeah <clears throat> i'm pretty much getting to that point where you know it's got to be pretty harsh for me to notice at this point but i mean like like jamie and paul had recommended like poltergeist oh my god like start him off with poltergeist holy crap and, about a scary movie yeah <laughs> just stuff that's scary but not gross and i think i'm realizing yep. my kid's not into scary he's into the gross like sure you know sure. like we're going um frightmare in the falls will be uh -huh. happening october 19th uh in uh in niagara falls and by the way, kids, if you go by there, make sure to check out the cauldron table because the dweller in the cellar and the cauldron team will be hanging out there. Uh -huh. But um, uh, Kane Hodder's going to be there. Hmm. And my kid's like, you know, we're going. And I'm like, of course we're going. And uh, he's he, he can't stop talking about it. He's so excited to meet him. And my kid's like, he's like one of those kids who knows all the, the stats, you know. 
Like, yep. oh, he was in seven. You no, know, he like he just tells me, oh, he was in seven, eight, and nine or whatever. And this guy did this, and this guy did that. And then we're watching uh, part seven the other day. My favorite and, one, right? Which he says is most people's. Or sorry, yep. most people. A lot of people's is also four. Right, but he, Kane Hodder like said four. the one that he they, he said the one he hears most from his people is part seven. But right, because right. Kane Hodder didn't start till part six. Right. Sorry, well, I'm like your son, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. My kid, but it's it's just it's really impressive when you hear an eight year old being like, oh, and this one was in 1981, and it was blah blah blah. It's like, kid, mm-hmm. you haven't even seen half these yet. But uh, yeah, I guess he was saying um, one of Kane Hodder's favorite kills is that sleeping bag. Yeah, the when famous sleeping against bag the moment. fucking yep. against the tree. <laughs> yes, it's, it's because it, it ruined though. Because he wants to interview. Like I'm going to go for press for yeah. for this show, and I'm going to bring him, and I want him to be the one to interview Kane. I don't want to do that. It, would right? be amazing, right? So I was like, got to think up some questions, and he was like, okay, and then he's like, oh, I'm going to ask him what his favorite kill is. But then he found out that his favorite kill is this thing. So now my kid's watching all these Kane Hodder videos to come up with a question that it hasn't been asked. That's and I'm like, incredible. that's my fucking boy right there. That's <laughs> your boy, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you what, again, you know, with Astronomicon 3 in February, I don't know what his schedule's going to be like or whatever, but... Well, I'm, I don't know because that con is a party. I'd love to bring ah, him. Yeah, ah, I'm torn yeah. because maybe if he was 10 or 12... I yeah, could kind of right. leave him in the hotel room for the night, and he'd be okay. Well, you know what I would do? I would hit, I would leave him in the hotel room. That show gets very green. Either yeah. a situation where he could come. He's I don't know how far to come down for a day and then leave. I yeah, I don't know. I'm still. I'm gonna try to work. I'm coming for sure, but I'm still mm. working out whether I bring him or not because I know he'd love it. But we had so much fun. They had the big I, fucking I would after not. show and the karaoke. That's too much for him. I already know yeah, that. That would be right? he, he's, yeah. yeah. I, I, and then I, I don't want to invite his mom and have his mom come, but then just have to hang out in the hotel shit. room. Like that's not right. yeah. So oh, well, we'll see what we can work out. But you know, some stuff he just can't come to everything. No, yet, and that's so. okay. And that's okay. That's okay. But he that did is... so well at Fan Expo this year. Good. He's he's easily the next source point generation. Uh, <laughs> you know, he the first day he cosplayed Kate, uh, Chief Hopper uh-huh. because he loves the Stranger Things. He had a little mustache and the yep, Hawaiian yep, shirt and shit. Yep. And then uh, he did the next day he did Jason. And he did, yeah. he just he was loving. He was taking pictures with Jasons and Mike Myers like all over the place. And then he gets tired, so we take a little backpack and some sweaters, and he makes a little bed behind the banners, and he it sleeps, goes and sleeps for a bit, dude, right? For like an hour and a half. I was like, that's a con kid, like coming out. And yes. then he gets up, and he's behind the source point table. He's like, come look at our awesome comics. And I'm like, you know, it's so it's just. It's so awesome to see him be so less shy than even I was, and I credit a lot to that to his mom and, and the balance of the horror thing. Like, mm-hmm. is that his mom has just you know not that I haven't, but we've just ingrained in him to be such a good kid. Like he's he's incredibly good. He's so he's courteous, he's kind, he's selfless, and I mean that's all his mother's side. And right. you know, and he likes you know Aaron, and Aaron's just got yeah. you know she cares so much about people. That mm-hmm. it really balances out nice within him, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that family part leads a little bit into the whole idea of this this other family that we are so lucky to be a part of, this Source Point Press family. Yeah. That has grown to include other families, like the 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 Twisted family. And uh-huh. and you have now been, you know, officially dove into this family for 
what is it how long since like the whole haunted high ons announcement uh, i think 2017 so maybe? yeah i was gonna say like two oh, years sure. or so because not yeah. that you weren't always part of the family but you just didn't really have anything published you know yourself right. officially I, through the it, family yet right it's it's a very interesting history because you know i was doing a lot of work with travis and doing a lot to support you know, Travis McIntyre and SourcePoint Press before it was even SourcePoint Press. Exactly. Like when you, you know, you know, when you were starting like, you know, your books in Nightmare World and stuff, there wasn't even a SourcePoint yet, right? No, no, no. Yeah, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, and, and Travis and I have a, a very much longer history than 99% of people walking this earth know about. Right. But, um, it, it, it was a situation where, yeah, if you have, when, when you have Travis on the show, Ask him, how far back do you and Dirk Manning go? And he might say, oh, we've known each other for years. Say, no, no, no. Really push him to how far back. And I'm not going to put it out there, but we'll see if he cracks and right. tells you truthfully how far back we go. We go back <laughs> a lot farther than most people realize. But in fact, it was his fist that you headbutted right, way back in <laughs> Not quite that far, but, but it, 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 it's a ways. It's All right. very far back. That's and, cool, man. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell I'll I'll tell you off. No, actually, I'm not gonna tell you off there. I want you to see if you could get out of him first, and then all we'll. Right, all right, we'll yeah, it. sounds good. So anyway, um, when when SourcePoint was really first starting to pick up steam, or the entity that becomes SourcePoint, I was with Image Comics, and I, I looked at what Travis was doing with you know the Michigan Independence Comics Collective and things like that, and we would talk a lot. And you know, Travis, I will say. He was a big fan of Right or Wrong as a column. He, he read the book. He paid attention. He took took note and got it and understood the way to do this on paper, which is something that I – one of those subliminal threads in Right or Wrong is there is a way to do this, and it's a grind, but you can do it honestly. You can do it ethically, and if you're lucky and you have books to connect, you can do it successfully and, and potentially become self-sustaining on some level. Right. Um, enough to be able to do it and live. And enough to be able to keep doing happy. it. Or, yeah. but again, even if you have a day job or something like that, you can still have a day job and then make comics on the side, you know, sure, and yeah. it's pretty pretty amazing. So, when when SourcePoint really, you know, was was started, the entity became SourcePoint started to pick up steam. I was with Image, and then I left Image to jump over to Devil's Due, and, and SourcePoint was still bubbling up. And this is just, you know, full disclosure on my end. I knew Travis very well. I knew what he was doing. However, were I to start making a move and extend out, for me and my brand and my work, I had to make a move that would have at least been lateral. Oh yeah, no, fully you know, you on. Know what that's mean? what. Yeah, that's what so, I meant by saying you had. You know, that would have right. been. And no offense to the source point, of no, course, no, no, at no. all, well, but they, that they would have been a step backwards at the time. It, it, Absolutely, it because. They didn't have, and, and one of the biggest issues was they did not have national distribution. They weren't in yeah. Diamond, and, and some other factors. They had like but, three books. Right, right, <laughs> there was like Up the again. River and Rampant, and then The Rot. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, and again, I'm not. There's zero shade here, <laughs> but I continued to work with Travis and talk to him about what about this? What do they do this? Do this? You know, one of the big jokes is that I, I, I hooked up Travis with a lot of uh, his early publishing printing partners. You know, sure. Um, you know, we literally had that conversation. You know, and then obviously, Gar- uh, 
Travis did a lot of consultation with Gary Reed, who published uh, Right or Wrong. I really wish I'd gotten to meet Gary Reed, man. Like that's you never met him. I've never met Gary, and that's one big regret for sure. You know, (laughs) I say this with all due respect to Gary, who is a, 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 a a friend and a mentor and a hero of mine. You wouldn't you wouldn't have been overly impressed. (laughs) <laughs> because I say that's that, the no that's the that's the image i get that he was that, gary yeah. gary was a very low-key guy still waters run deep he had a day job you know he was a professor things like that he was like uh, the quintessential like 70s and 80s comic guy wasn't he he's very chill yeah uh, very very low-key would just tell he did he gave zero fox may just tell you how it is and that's that yes yeah. <laughs> you know um but a huge heart, big, much, much bigger heart than he tried to let on, but it always came through. Right, right. But, but anyway, so yeah, so the source point thing, when, when it got to the point where Gary hooked me up with Twisted to do the, the original one shot, I was with, you know, I had left Image and I was with Devil's Due and I had the option to consider where we're going to take, well, then when Gary passed, oh, goddamn, I miss you, Gary. But it was a situation where I could take the book The Devil's Due or the book could stay with Caliber, you know, or what Caliber would eventually then become, you know, next or what have you. Right. But instead, I really pushed Twisted. I, I literally drove to Twisted headquarters and sat down with them. I'm like, what are we going to do? We're just going to continue to keep this book at Caliber? And I said, no, you are not. We're going to take this book to SourcePoint Press. Like, who the hell is SourcePoint Press? I said, listen, let me work. And, <laughs> and, not, and not to toot my own horn, because I know, I know the public persona of Dirk Manning is always out there. And, oh, look at me. Look at me. I'm so great. That, listen, I, I, you're never going to hear me say that I'm great. You're going to hear me say that the books I work on with many other artists are great. Right. Okay. Personally, I'm not – but there's one, I'm going to say – I went into overdrive and I busted my ass and, and I went, I talked to Travis and I talked to, and I said, look, here's this opportunity for this book that will sell. I said, this book will sell and it will give you a cash infusion. And this could turn into a very, very lucrative situation. Like I presented you some other relationships in the past that have panned out very well for you. This will be one of them. I said, but here's the thing. I need to be able to tell twisted that this book's going to get national distribution. That's the end. That is what I need out of you gotta make that play. And he's like, Well, you know, you know, we tried that, you know, with Diamond it didn't work out and I said, Look, man, right. yeah. figure it figure it the F out. I'm gonna keep pushing them in your direction. This need to I said, leverage the fact that you're working with a nationally distributed do whatever you gotta do. Travis went out, or Tis Magic, and within like uh twenty four hours of a meeting, boom, they got into Diamond. Yeah, yeah. But they but, got a diamond because of the hard work they were doing on the road. But yeah, that yeah. is that is that I'm not taking cre- I'm not at all taking credit for source bringing into diamond. I'm not. Me coming to them and pushing them again, maybe did it help 
I think it was. I think it's it like did. Push. Of course, it did. And yeah, I think I, that I, push I, yeah. was generally starting to be felt. I mean, there was even sure. even. I, it's not like I never had that thought of like, how far can we really get? Just you know, at the shows when like it right. just didn't make sense when, especially when Source Point was making so many good books that, that were right. just as good as exactly. a lot of other ones were. Right at, at that point, they had a ton of books out yeah. by 2016, 2017. The quality of the books is as good as many other publishers and, and but me coming to them and saying look i got this thing that's going to work out really well for everybody but i need to tell them you know so this is like the behind the scenes dark stuff that no one sees them or run over there and tell them you know go back to twisted hang on hang on hang on you know and, and that worked out so then that became my first book with source point even though i was still i had a contract with devil's due with the Dirkiverse over there to do uh, I had to finish up doing uh, Tales of Mystery Volume 4 with Devil's Due. I did not have to, t- but because Twisted was not a Dirkiverse book, meaning it was not uh, Nightmare World or Tales of Mystery, uh, I think right. Love Stories of Night 4 was tied into that as well, that I could then take that book to Source Point, which then, of course, the Twisted One-Shot became one of the first three books along with Salvagers and uh, Jay Fosgate's book. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first three books ever released by source point with national distribution through diamond and now we're up to 10 books a month you know isn't it um, insane 10 books a month uh, like i've been right. there for years now keeping track as best i can but even i'm at the point now where there's like there's a new title yesterday that i was like where the hell did this fucking book come from like it's yeah. insane how much yeah. is being pumped out right now man well, it is, and it's all the quality stuff. You know, it's all quality oh, it's stuff. Great. But, but you're right. And what's funny is, again, we're still seen as like this. Who? And I had this conversation. I literally yesterday had this conversation with Travis. There's some publishers that don't haven't even released a book yet. They're getting national press because they have the right publicist or they have the right money in the right places or or you know people own favors whatever the, whatever the hell the situation is i'm like this publisher is being mentioned in this national periodical and they don't even have a book out yet See? and we're sitting here we have 300 books nationally released and you know we're selling out left and right and sideways and everything but okay man whatever, we'll get there that's fine i i'm used to live as a horror guy i'm used to living in the underground and totally. that's fine it's, it's not. It's not. Publishers are going to trash and burn, and we're sorry. I'm going to rant now, and we're still going to be sitting there grinding it out. <laughs> but here's the thing: the grind is paying off in a lot of ways that a lot of us see individually that you know may not get around. But then it it'll all uh, like uh, culminate into a moment of where like boom, then the diamond thing. But like mm-hmm. for instance, Fan Expo this year, uh, I was lucky enough to attend the raid party. Uh, the le- the legendary raid party. If anybody's unfamiliar with raid, it's the Royal Academy of Illustration and Design. This was a studio started years ago by Chip Zdarsky and a few other folks in Toronto. At this point, it is being headed up by Ramon Perez, and uh, there's there's an incredible roster. It is like the elite cool kids of the Toronto comic book community, which we won't get into an argument over this. Dirk is the absolute number one spot in the world to develop comic book creators. We can get deep into that I, another time. I'm in, I'm in your house. I'm just going <laughs> to <roll with> it. <laughs> but I, I, I went to the party 
And uh, I went to do my my job. I went to spread the source point love. I went to schmooze. I went to shake hands. I went to kiss babies. I went to you know just just see what could happen and and make sure source point was was on the board. Right. Turns out. I, the effort was about as minimal as it had to be. Every single person in that party knew exactly who the fuck we were, knew exactly what the fuck we were up to, and was very interested in seeing what else was to come. Um, I had a very—I I won't say any more than this—but I had a very good conversation with Ramon Perez uh, about Source Point Press, and. Um, you know, it, it, we're no secret, man. Like, no, you know, no, maybe no. it may be the public wise and maybe even the shops are still getting the, but don't think the industry itself. Oh, I yeah. I, I just, I just, I, it was, it, it, it was I'm made a, super clear to me where we're actually at after it, that part. Yes. And I yeah. know where we are, but to me, it's a situation where I'm always hungry. And I, and, you know, and, and some people call it the Aquarius in me, you know, it's like, but if you, if you're into that type of thing, but I'm always living in the future. And then I always want to get there, get to that point. But no, you're right. I mean, again, you know, it's funny. I've been a comic book professional and I hate saying this, but I have to kind of own it for what's coming next in my 42 years. Close. <laughs> well, close, but yeah, uh, almost 20 years. Yeah. I've been professionally making comics. Yeah. And, you know, many of the source point creators are, you know, we joke about, you know, my Padawans. Oh, they're You know, babies. these are people that read right or wrong. And yeah, came yeah. Up, and, and there's a generation of creators that came up following my model, following my template, coming after me, you know. And um, so it's weird because when I was at Image, Image, I, I was just some indie phenom who may or may not have taken off. Right. Whatever. With Devil's Due, I was a shot in the arm for that company because I brought this very dedicated fan base I had built up. I brought some very good business practices to the company that they utilized to great success. Now that my contract with Devil's Due is officially done, I'm full tilt into SourcePoint Press. I come in almost – and I hope some of our people out there listening are going to roll their eyes at this, but as like an elder statesman, you know. I've been around for 20 years, and I and I bring uh, Kalen Smith made this, this comment, and and I had to kind of acclimate to this comment a lot. But then she goes, "You cast a long shadow." And at first, I was kind of like almost hurt. I'm like, what, what, "I'm just doing my thing," but but then it's like, you know what? I've been doing this almost 20 fucking years, man. Yeah, I think I do cast a long shadow. Sure, <laughs> no. Dude, you just know? experience. Like, you know what? It's the same thing. Like, I don't talk about my day job tons on this show, but me, people may be familiar with me being an arborist, which I've been doing for 18 years. Right. And I'm not the best climber. I'm not the fastest climber. I'm not the most badass tree climber. But, man, I know how to do it. Do you know what I mean? Which makes you cast a long shadow just out of experience. Right, right. Well, even like... Again, not to pull back the curtain too much, but last year, SourcePoint did San Diego for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, doing San Diego is a whole different animal, things like that. So then when it was time to do San Diego again this year, it was a matter of recalibrating the approach. And I talked to Travis about it. You know, I said, look, what if we do this? And we, we, we used a certain game plan, and it worked very well for everybody. But it worked well for the company. And 
having that perspective about being this independent guy this, that, that's focused primarily on creator-owned work, that's grinded out, grounded out for 20 years almost, and done you know over 100 conventions on my own. You know, it's like I'm Batman to the Justice League. You know, sure, I am sure. a source yeah. point guy. But at the same time, I don't really set up the source point table because I have 14 freaking books. You know, you know, it's like so I'm over here in artist town. Well, I'm that's where we want it to grow to for other people too. Right? Exactly. And that's yeah. that's been a big push of mine too. It's like when are we gonna take our our Casey Pierce's, our Bob Sally's, our you know, I mean Fosgate usually has his own table. Well you know. Casey's been smart enough to take those opportunities as a guest when she's gotten them. Fan Expo Boston, Fan Expo Toronto, you know, yeah. it's and, and go rep the brand in Artist Alley too, while then also growing our capacity as a publisher and also teaching some of the young Turks coming. And again, I can't believe I'm saying things like young Turks because it makes me realize well, that, you know, dude, you know, what I would, I am. you know what I would love to see? And this is, this is a little dream, you know, dream goal cast of mine is I don't see why source point doesn't have their usual setup. And then not only their creators and artists, Sally, but like you see when like raid has their raid row, Mm-hmm. Like Raid at C2E2 or Toronto, they have an entire row of an artist's alley will be nothing but Raid artists. And it's mm-hmm. 10 Raid artists and writers all sitting in a row. They're branded. And I stuff want, like that. yeah, I would love to see Source Point be in that position as well. You know what I mean? Because we never have our, our like, you know, it's very, it's not like, it'd be cool if you get like original art at the same time, you know, as, as the book sort of thing, right? Well, and and I continue to have conversations with Travis, you know, um, uh, about things that SourcePoint could be doing moving forward. And it's not my company, you know. I mean, ultimately, it's you know Travis and Josh and and things like that. But we do have a lot of those conversations about what's the next step of this going to be now that we are building that brand awareness. And, and again, you know. I guess since I'm the guest of the show, I can say, since we have the free comic book day book with Hope that went really well, and since we have Halloween Comic Fest now with Cthulhu Jr. that's doing well, since yeah. we have the Twisted book that every issue is sold out, and now we're doing the Kickstarter October 1st, and we're doing a Kickstarter with a national band that's been around for 20 years. It's going to be insane, you know. <laughs> so, or you know, yeah, what those what those next steps are. But you're right. I mean, the company. I I obviously am delighted to be with the company and and delighted to. Well, it made sense. Like I think this was a cosmic coming together. It all had everything came together at the right time. Because even when I met when I first came, remember my first year at Motor City, mm-hmm. it, it all seemed like one big family. Anyways, like before mm-hmm. I even had my comics all straightened out, I might have thought you were Source Point Press. Like it was just all sure. that tight. And it's just it's it all even Twisted coming in. You. Can't cannot name me another fucking comic book publisher that is going to suit their brand as well as source point press that's insane that, and that was exactly my pitch to the twister when i sat in the office with them right you know with their manager you know with george and when jamie were there and stuff like and some of the other guys and i was like look here's the skinny and, I, and the thing was with gary passing twisted had to decide what they were going to do and i went in there and said look Gary was a dear friend of mine I'm not trying to come in and swoop anything up, but I'm going to say, look, you can trust me or not. Here's my experience. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. And I didn't even play the card with them that I knew twisted, even though they didn't know me. Back from my music journalism days when they were House of Crazies, because I didn't want to make it look like I was some fanboy of theirs. Right. 
you know, because it's like ultimately I told him, I said, I respect you guys hustle. I think you make a good book. And I said, this publisher will support you and they will not screw you. Yeah. Which resonated with them for reasons that they can choose to talk about or not. But I said, this is an honest publisher and they will take care of you. Right. Just like you in turn will help take care of them. Absolutely. But yeah, but you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, with SourcePoint, we have a lot of very dynamic personalities. Uh, the publisher core has grown past the original small group. Oh, but at God. the end of the day, we all want, most of us want the, the, most of the people with a, the publisher, I would say, are learning that mentality, that studio mentality that I came up with that I talked about in the original Right or Wrong book about a high tide raises all ships. And if people are buying Nora and they learn to – and then they're buying The Rot and they're learning to recognize SourcePoint's press stuff is good, then maybe they'll discover Hope or they'll discover Haunted High On. So they'll discover Cthulhu Jr. or they'll discover the Mystery Omnibus or whatever it's going to be. Which happens all the time. We see it yes. on the floor. Yeah. Yes. And, and – it's like it's very important, and the mentality that, that that we have as a publisher is we all should have a vested interest in the publisher being successful. And this is something I talk to people about all the time when I talk about this. I said, you have a vested interest in SourcePoint making money. The question – and people are going to be like, I'm nuts or like that I, I'm independently wealthy when I say this. But I said, where's SourcePoint going to make money off of this? Because I want to say, oh, well, I want to do this book and I want to do this deal. And, and – any creator I talk to about this, you know, uh, they could tell. I'll say, where does SourcePoint make money? And a lot of artists are freelancers. It's their full time job, and they say, well, well, well but yeah, I got to make money. And I'm like, I know you got to make money, but SourcePoint's got to make money too, yeah. or they're not going to make money. So that you make money, right? Get your face out of the drawing board. Look at the big picture, and I mean that to be. I apologize, that it comes off as crass, but it is what it is. This is the business side of me talking. I'm like. We all can eat. Right. We all can survive. But we have to operate within this system that's going to take care of us because I'll tell you the other thing, and a lot of people, a lot of professionals are starting to figure this out. And again, this is my elder statesman hat, but so be it. Source point is has integrity. Oh God, yeah. They pay what they're supposed now you may not be paid as much as someone else will promise you, but what you're promised, you're paid. We're paid on time. Our royalties are honest. The books are open to us, and I will tell you right now, brother, that is not something you see a lot of places. And most and importantly, the books are yours. Exactly. We yeah. own it. Yeah, that's the big a, thing. See, that, my that, company has something that if people looked at, at SourcePoint and publishers more like this, I think it would help. But we have what are uh, PIP programs it's a it's a performance incentive program mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. you know you set a goal if you hit that goal everybody gets a little right. and you know i was really proud my company was just taken over i worked for this little tiny family-owned company uh and it was just taken over by the biggest tree company in the world so mm. it's it's been a huge transition an amazing transition there's so much opportunity right now it's insane like you know i i got promoted in like two days it was crazy and you've been there 18 years again. You, you were well, I've been in the industry 18 years, not, oh, right. you know, but okay. either way, and they have this and no company in the history of this company, which is a hundred year history of any of their new acquisitions. No one had ever hit that PIP goal in the very first month they were acquired. <laughs> yeah, we hit that goal. We couldn't even fucking believe it. Everybody got a hundred dollars on their paycheck. Sure. 
you know, nothing you can go on vacation with. But hundred bucks, hundred bucks, You got a hundred bucks on your paycheck just right. for just for being it down ass. with the team, right? Yeah. And then that all trickles down, and it's also set up where our boss doesn't get a bonus till we see a bonus. Their boss doesn't get a bonus till they see. So it all starts. It's it's not from the top down. It genuinely is from the bottom to the top, and that's the only way the top survives. If is is if the bottom is is well fed, right? That's right. And, and you're all that, working for that, each other. That's the whole point of the whole thing, right? And that's that family theme you're talking about. Exactly. We have to is a family. We can't be right. just looking out for ourselves. Yes. That's not the way this is going to work long term. If you just want to have that mercenary freestyle uh, freelance life. Cool. Go do it. Good luck. Yeah. But that's yeah. not what this is about. Let's help each other out. Let's all be successful. Then we all eat and we all share in it. And we also it's an it. it's a new model in a way. Like no one's ever quite done it this way. And as much as we all follow our fearless leader, Travis, and our, you know, esteemed founder Josh, it's mm-hmm. also a matter of having to trust their instincts and intelligence. At the same time as we know that they're flying by the seat of their fucking pants. Like a lot of this is getting made up as it goes along. And and I don't want to make that sound like chaotic because it's not. It's, it's, you know, everybody's always learning, you know. Well, well, again, coming back to, you know, the example I gave a minute ago, what do you do when Dirk Manning, who's been in the industry at that point over 15 years, comes in and says, look, I can get you twisted – but you need to get national distribution, and we have to figure this out quick. Yeah, you figure it out. Yeah, you fly by <laughs> Not that they weren't trying anyway, but yeah. again, that's something that that's more weight on that scale. That's what tips those scales a little bit. And like these guys are going to take this book somewhere. And I told them, and I said, I will get paid to write this book. I will take this book somewhere. Right. I can take it to Devil's Due. I can talk to other publishers who'd be happy to do this. But I know this will be a good fit. Let's yeah. So again, that's that that spontaneity, that 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 synergy that comes into place, you know. For so. sure, for sure. Let's give a family shout out then to an individual who I don't have details on this, but I have been told was also part of getting Source Point into the national distribution game, uh Richard Anke. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I've only gotten to hang out with him like twice, I think, or maybe Big once. Right. <laughs> I think that was New York Comic Con. But what a nice dude. What an Good awesome dude. dude. And everybody, check out I, – I, I'm totally not going to know the name of all his stuff, but he's into hardcore game development and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's got a lot of very cool stuff going on. But I believe we do owe a bit of thanks for that connection and just getting that done. Oh. Everybody, you know, people like like that, people like Natasha Vineyard over at Previews and Ash and Group. I mean, the fact that, again, uh, I'll say this because I'm, I'm the one short now. The fact that we were able to walk in and get a free comic book day book on a, uh, a on a book that we then had to tell them, by the way, Dirk and Kaylin are Kickstarter monsters. They're going to do this book on Kickstarter, too, which is antithetical to Timon's model. That they let us do it. There's a lot of people, and people crap on Diamond all the time. Well, and I'm not yeah. saying it's a perfect system, but there's a lot of good people there doing a lot of good work to help comics and even help people in our position because they get it too. If SourcePoint makes money, Diamond makes money. Diamond makes money. Yes. They See, have no this is where there's in a, this is where there's a strange turn in the tides because SourcePoint went for many years. 
uh, with a, with an absolutely solid, worked out, figured out, planned out Kickstarter model. Mm-hmm. Now getting to the point, we're trying to move beyond that. Yet mm-hmm. we know as grinders and independent people that you know a lot of you creators still have things that you want to do that may not fit into what's happening with diamond at the time. So maybe a Kickstarter would be apropos, which is kind of what you're doing right now. Cause I know like, you know, obviously any comic book company would love to be able to just afford to publish and print all their comics. And, sure. you know, source point used Kickstarter as, as an incredible tool to try to be building to that point. Yet there's the guys like you who are still like, yeah, I'm in previews, but I also want to make a 1918 leather bound, 18 pound <laughs> trade book of fucking omnibus, with, right. with holographic fucking <laughs> shit coming out of it and flames and fire. And, you know it's what true. I mean? It's so, true. So, because I understand, because it is a balance, because you are the king of the Kickstarter. We've talked about this many times, but in a way, you also want to get to the point where your publishing and your work looks like it has the confidence where it doesn't require the kickstarting, right? Well, that, that I want to be. I'm, I'm going to call out the Kickstarter bias here a little well, bit. Well, you help explain to me. You explain, you know, far better than I right now with SourcePoint and the switchover in that model and you being the king. Mm-hmm. Of, you clarify this for me a bit. Like, mm-hmm. help, me, help me to understand. I will even tie it back to your theme. All right. Perfect. Family. I have an amazing family of readers. I do. You do. You know, I got the Facebook group. And, and if I were to die tomorrow – my proud one of my proudest accomplishments will be how many good people I've been able to connect with how many good people right truly truly I look at how this person knows this person and it's like and I introduced him or the Facebook group where all these people support each other and stuff like that dude that's the legacy so. of this show and yeah. going to comic cons that's absolutely I feel yeah. you man I feel you so <laughs> right and the thing is and I'm very fortunate my piece of that is again I have a large family of, of readers who are very supportive of what I do and it's never growing family mm-hmm. because of all the shows I do and things like that and as such you're right if I want to do a deluxe edition of a book like I want to do hardcover first editions of all the Tales of Mystery books or I want to do the Nightmare World Bible which is that big giant Nightmare World omnibus where we did the leather bound and the yeah, yeah. old gilded and all that stuff or now we're looking at on Halloween we're going to be doing through source point now that my devil's due contract is done i'm taking this to source point the uh what i'm calling right now the tales of mystery act one omnibus which we all four volumes in one big giant hardcover and what we're doing is we're going back and i'm working with anthony d lee who's coloring volume one so volume one of tales of mystery will always exist in that black and white grayscale noir look as an individual trade paperback but to have the the omnibus look consistent because tony uh, anthony d lee's colored three-fourths of the series to date. Right. Uh, he's recoloring volume one so that in one collection it all looks consistent. That's awesome. Right. Now. He's got to get paid Diamond, for that. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. One, he needs to get paid. Yeah. 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 And, and two, a 550-page hardcover does not really fit into the Diamond model or the comic book shop model. Right. It just doesn't now just sorry quick question does diamond provide 
all the the paperbacks, like all the omnibuses and all the big fat hardcovers that are even the Marvel ones on the shelves. Uh, is that through Diamond as well? Is everything through Diamond? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to bring that up in a second. Okay. Brilliant minds think alike, brother. <laughs> um, we can Diamond is a distributor, so a publisher can go to Diamond and say, "Here's what we want to offer," but but Diamond takes sixty percent off the top of our cover price. That much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, they have to distribute it, then they got to get their nut from the deal, the the comic book stores to buy it and things like that. Sure. So yeah, so uh, you know, uh, take a fifteen dollar trade, take uh, or six sixty percent off of that. That's what the publisher gets paid to give that book to Diamond. Forty to six. I mean, it depends on your number. It could be fifty, it could be forty, but you know, I mean, it, generally speaking. Let, let, let's make it simple. Let's say about half. Right. So fifteen dollar trade, you're looking at getting around seven fifty eight bucks for it. Because then Diamond turns around and you know and they get their cut and they sell it to the comic shops. Blah blah blah. Okay. How many stores are going to buy a five hundred and fifty page hardcover? <laughs> Of Tales of Mystery, this comic book, which has primarily only come out in graphic novel form, so there's never even been monthly periodicals of this book for the most part, to build up that that casual readership. Right. It's not initially worth it. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And the thing is, if I were to go straight through Diamond on something like this, I would not get the pre-orders necessary not only to pay Anthony to go back and color volume one – but even to sustain the printing of it. So instead, I turn to my family of readers and the, and the horror family in general who just likes the Kickstarter family, who just like to back books on Kickstarter, and the, and the omnibus family, the people who just like omnibus and say, hey, I'm doing this book. You know, it's 550-page hardcover. It's this horror noir series, Tales of Mysteries, a series that just as people fall in love with this book. This is going to be the definitive edition of it. I was talking to another, another buddy of mine. He goes, well, I got the hardcovers. Why would I get the omnibus? And I, and I use this example. I said, the hardcovers are like the DVD. They're really nice. <laughs> the omnibus is the Blu-ray. Right, right. <laughs> Higher paper quality. Bigger art. And by the way, I'm recoloring volume one. Yeah. Extra some other features. Extra features. <laughs> right. And it, it's a vanity book, but it's like, do you want this big giant? You know, some other cool stuff we're going to be doing with that Kickstarter that launches on Halloween. You know what your demand is. You know what you'll get out of, you know, you know how big your cult uh, is. I, I, so. I think. Yeah. I'm always nervous, brother. I'm always nervous as hell. I'm, you know, the, the Nightmare World Omnibus set a record for um, – for Devil's Due, that 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 stood for a couple of years till Kaylin Smith's Plume Omnibus. Right, right. You know, but again, it's that same thing. You know, about <clears throat> this is not. I'm not thumbing my nose at Diamond at all, but rather this is just a situation where it's like, hey, this book would not be sustainable to anyone in that model. Now, eventually, might we do some version? of the Tales of Mystery Act 1 Omnibus through Diamond or through the bookstores? Absolutely. And we're talking about that, what that's going to look like. But for this initial release, for me to be able to print this thing and, and deliver it to people that would rapidly want it and be really excited about it, I'm going right to the people. Right. And that's okay. I'm not thumbing my nose at Diamond. I'm not talking shit about Diamond because Diamond's been very, very good to us. They've been good to SourcePoint. They've been good to me personally. They didn't have to accept Cthulhu Jr. They didn't have to accept Hope. They didn't have to accept anything, you know. So 
that there's an economic reality to this, you know, that 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 you have to just honor. And uh, and, now, and that's what's, okay. Well, tell me what your ratio is to like a, a need to do this compared to a want to do this because obviously you're just going to use kickstarter at this point you know as you know as you're where you want to do your special stuff is mm-hmm. this is this something that you just happen to have because like you have no fucking time i don't know how you manage to do half the fucking shit that you do and is this just something you can't not do you can't not do more or is it something you really want is it more of a want or a need if I want the Tales of Mystery Act One Omnibus to exist, I'm going to need to do it through Kickstarter. Right. I mean, point blank. I mean, that's it. I, I I couldn't ask SourcePoint to pick up that kind of load by themselves. You know, the financial commitment to do it and things like that. So, because I want an omnibus of Tales of Mystery to match the Nightmare World omnibus, and quite frankly, I want to do it with a publisher through which the process will go much smoother than it did with Devil's Due. Right. Uh, not. 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 Right, right, Crapping right. on devils do, but there were – I mean, to be fair, there was typhoons involved. I mean, you name it. There was every delay imaginable in that book. Shit happens. Um, yeah. Shit happens, man. But so I, I want to do this. I want to do much smoother, so I need to use Kickstarter. Did I need to do a Kickstarter for the Hope Volume 1 collection before the book even came out through Free Comic Book Day? No, but we wanted to. You know, it's a way to get – now, uh, just just be clear. Right. When I say need, like I don't mean a need financially or economically. I mean oh, like okay. a burning desire need. Or is it just, hey, this is something I'd really like to do, so I'm going to find the time to do it? Or is it where I have no choice? I, I will not be able to be content or satisfied unless I put this out. Um. Hmm. <laughs> You always make me think, Jay. Well, you just I, so I, I this would, is you're so busy. Your time is right. valuable, right? It, it is, and, and I think it's something that sometimes people fail to recognize is that how much work goes into doing all this stuff. Even, even you know, even setting up like the variant cover initiative we've done with Hope, where right. every we're doing a different we a variant cover per issue at a different mainly different conventions. Uh-huh. Uh, it takes a lot of work to even set those deals up. You know, I just announced we're doing the the variant of Hope Number Four at New York Comic Con. Um, it could be living to hundred copies. That deal doesn't doesn't just fall out of the sky. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff. Um, I, I don't have some weird OCD type need to do it, but again, if if it gives us a nice little financial incentive, and then I can use the money I got from the Hope Kickstarter to help fund other stuff I'm doing, that's nice. But I would like to get to the point where the Kickstarters truly become special events. I say that recognizing that we're launching the Twisted Kickstarter October 1st, then we're launching the Tales of Mystery Act 1 Omnibus on Halloween. I'm doing back-to-back Kickstarters in October. That's insane. (laughs) And top of that, on top of that, doing nine conventions in nine weeks – and during that time, in five states with five book releases. How are you going to do this? Like, how would you no do idea. not? Like, I don't sleep much. And it's, you know, I don't have like a crazy like sleep problem. Like, but right. like, you know, I can get five hours a night and be good. And I'm a tree right. climber. Like, I have a physical ass job and I can still manage because my job keeps me fit enough. Like, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if I didn't, if I wasn't a tree climber, I'd be diabetic. I know it. I'd be. 
you know, just I'd not be nearly as healthy as I am <clears throat> just because it keeps me straight. And that's why I, I often worry about a lot of my creator friends who go on these fucking journeys where I know they're out eating crap con food, right. or fast food. And you did a really nice stretch where you helped things up pretty good for a while there. And I hope you've yeah. kind of managed to maintain that because, you know. I think so. Yeah. It's, well, I, I got you guys, to a point. My weight caught up with me for a minute, too, when I did that 24 shows in 18 weeks. Yeah. I, I puffed up. And I I can wear my weight deceptively well, but I was easily 30 pounds. But it's heavy. not about wearing the shit. It's about be just I worry about your exactly. health. Well, that, no, and that, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not put, pointing you out specifically. I'm just bringing no. this up with you because of the fact that you do go on a grind like no one else, right? Right. Like these and tours I, and are I, nuts. And I tell you what, man, I hit that elliptical four or five times a week, you know, um, just getting ready. People understand, like, I'm not young, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. I'm not old, but I'm not young. I train physically to do these tours. I literally physically have been training I for think you two have months. To. That's a you good to hear. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. I mean, a lot of people, it's like they, they take their health for granted and stuff like this. And again, you know, obviously, there's the whole ice cream persona that goes with Dirk Manning and uh, eat all this ice cream. I, I do. I'll eat ice cream for breakfast on the road. You know why? I'm probably not going to eat again until dinner. Right. You know, I'll yeah. have some power bars and some nuts or some pretzels or something like that, you know. But other than that, man, I mean, I that is my calorie dump in the morning. Because I'm going to have some power bars, I'm going to have some nuts or, you know, some fruit snacks or something like that. I'm not going to get a real meal from 10 in the morning till 8 or 9 at night. Right. That's the that's the real ice cream for breakfast. And again, now you can argue nutritionally. Oh, all that sugar in the morning, blah, blah, blah. To me, it's the same as a bowl of cereal. Oh, it you absolutely know, Chris, is. Chris Brown, you know, uh, yeah. my comics more mad night, so he makes Love that joke Chris. about Love Chris to death. Yeah. Same idea. He's like, what's the difference between cereal and ice cream? It's all milk and sugar. Yeah. And I'm like, amen, brother. There it is. <laughs> I just can't take a bowl of cereal with me to my table, so I get a big old ice cream cone. And it's it can be a simple thing. I think because of you know, I, 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 I'm kind of overly extended physically every day, and I don't <laughs> think a lot of people realize that you don't uh, – people are intimidated by They think they have to work out or whatever. But even 10 minutes on an elliptical or going right. for a walk around the block, nobody's telling you you got to get your Rocky on. No, it's just and, a and lot I, I of these – you just got to – you got to – Move a little. Get outside, some of, right? Some of my buddies were busting my balls when I really started this routine I have now, which, again, like you said, I, I don't have a lot of time. I just don't. Between the promotional work I do, between the actual sitting down writing, between you know other commitments, things like that, I don't. Time is at a high premium for me right. any given day. But I would love to be able to like watch stuff on Netflix. So what I started doing was. Um, there's shows that I only watch when I'm on the elliptical. Brilliant. You know, so yeah. like, uh, my buddies always talk about BoJack Horseman. What a good show this was. So that became, or Doctor Who, or whatever. So those became shows that I only, I don't sit on the couch and watch it. If I want to watch BoJack Horseman, I'll get on the elliptical, and then I watch you know, I'm to the point I'll watch two episodes. So I'm on the elliptical about 35 minutes, you know, because stretch, I stretch out a little bit first and stuff. I turn on the show, do a little stretching out, 
jump on the elliptical, you know, the old martial artist in me. <laughs> and watch an episode two, episode two, BoJack Horseman. It's so easy, right? And then I'm and I'm multitasking, right? It's easy. I turn off my phone. I don't, you know, I go down there. I work out. I'm getting to watch a show that I really enjoy. And you can get this stuff done, but you're, but yet again, my buddy's gonna bust in my jaw like, oh, Darkin is elliptical. I'm like, look, man, we're not getting any younger. Yeah, and no, you don't want to no say this. Joke, you don't want to. You don't want to say to someone, maybe you should be working out a little bit. But it's like because it's not it's not a cosmetic thing, but it's a health thing, dude. Yeah, it's hard for me in particular because I'll see just from people walking around the con, and then they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm so tired." I'm just like, guys, like humans are meant to naturally move a little bit more than I think a lot of us have been moving. <laughs> right, and, and you've seen me at shows. I rarely sit down. You Usually never I, sit. I, down. I, yeah, I don't. Really, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't. You know. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Uh, that one time we potted at uh, Astronomicon, I remember you made a comment, you're sitting down, and I'm like, because I was at the end of a run, and I was like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I, just need, cause I just need to sit for a minute. But, um, yeah, so when you do these shows and you're sitting, or Mikey's even standing in one spot for eight hours a day for three or four days like that, and then a lot of times people, I, I don't drink, but a lot of people go out and drink, and then they go to bed, and they – you gotta take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, routine. This is, you know, routine is king, right? Right, right. Yeah. And again, going back to that family aspect, you know, it's like you have obligations to your family and you have obligations to yourself and, you know, to, to be healthy. I was never a good looking guy. I'm never gonna be, but, you know, I can at least. Oh, please. Sh- you're, any, you're a, you're a no, swell looking fellow, Dirk. I, I was not fishing for a compliment, but I'm just saying that you're not gonna see me on like GQ or anything, but you know what? I can be healthy. I think you look pretty cool on the cover of GQ, actually. That would be fun. I, I, I would want to do it with my hat. Shirley Temple? <laughs> yeah, holding it up. Yeah, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, but, uh,. Yeah, so so that's all. Not to get on this crazy health thing, but you can eat ice cream and you can drink or whatever. Okay, kids, we're going to put a pin in it right there for now, but please join us next episode for part two of our continuing conversation with Mr. Dirk Manning. Takaris.